0: So uh, welcome everyone to our first um, IQU connection, uh, interesting people, interesting stories. Uh, This is a series that we are starting within IQ University. Our hope is that we're going to bring in a bunch of speakers uh, roughly once a month, and it's gonna be a broad range of topics. Our first one is with with Brendan. Uh, Brendan is with, uh, with IQ Metrics, and today our topic is black shirts and Dark Knights, uh, a very catchy label. Uh, we're going to tie him into his interest in heavy metal, and astronomy are going to be our areas that we're going to explore today. Uh, so welcome, everyone. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, I've had a number of conversations with Brendan over the over the years of IQmetrics, and I've always found it a fa- fascinating discussion because Brendan asked a lot of great questions, and he's the one that's been usually peppering me with questions, and so now it's my turn to start him with, with questions. So, so a little bit about Brendan first though. Uh, Brennan has been an amateur astronomer since he was a kid. Uh, he graduated from York University in 2007 with a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. He's also worked at the university's Astronomical Observatory, giving tours, doing research, and writing software. Uh, since then he's become a member of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada and says and has served as President of the Winnipeg Chapter from 2016 to 2018. So very excited about this. Uh, I we're going to just lob up some easy questions before we get into the heavy metals subgenre uh, questions. Yeah. Uh, but first off why what how did you how did you get interested in astronomy? Where did that come from?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's yeah. That's one of those ones where um, it's parents, right? You know, they they're great um you know and so my dad has always had a had an interest in it he's never um he's never been like super into it but his his actual interest so he grew up in saskatchewan and his interest in astronomy uh actually started with i mean the apollo missions um you know the ones that landed on the moon were a big thing for him and then he um he actually spent a lot of time out on the farm you know harvest season very very late nights and beautiful clear skies Right, and that just got him into it. So he'd always had this passing interest in it. And so when I was uh, 12, um, there was this comet. Now it wasn't Hillbop, that's the one that most people remember, but it was Comet Hyakutake. And uh, I, I distinctly remember this one because it was quite cold out, but we, we drove out to uh, darker, I grew up in Knorr, Ontario, so we had clear ac- like right, you know access to uh, good dark skies, right? and uh it, i i just remember it looking you know and we had we had gone out to like look at the stars and stuff like that so i had been exposed to this but this comet had this beautiful streak to it and it was just it was almost like you know like something had just been carved into the sky right and then i kind of you know my dad was explaining to me what this thing was and i didn't really grasp it all that well at the time right you know so this is a comet that comes around once every I forget how much, like we'll just say like a million plus years or something like that, right? And it's on this crazy elliptical orbit where it comes swooping around, gets really close to the sun, and then what the sun's doing is it's melting it, so that lights it up in the night sky, right? Now, it's moving fast, but it's moving over a tremendous tremendous distance, so you don't actually see it moving in the night sky, so it just kind of hangs there, right? So you know it's moving, but it's it's at this distance that you can't really perceive, right? And, And I remember that was like that was the thing that I like that's that's the first big memory that I have of really getting in of really getting into this right
0: what what? so at 12 years old you see this comet swinging by your dad yeah. is explaining this to you yeah but what did it look like from 12 year old Brendan's perspective <laughs> of oh man that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen or
1: <clears throat> I mean it didn't I don't think it hit me hit me that hard necessarily um, you know, it's one of those little incremental things that happens, right? Like I, um, I remember, you know, um, b- beyond that, like a, a year or two later, um, friends of ours had a telescope and they brought us out to look at the planet Saturn through a telescope, which is just, if you want to get anybody in, interested into, astro- like interested in astronomy, like do that. Um, also if you've never seen Saturn in a telescope, do it uh it is just it's gorgeous it's absolutely gorgeous and one of the big reasons is because of the rings right so when you're looking through a telescope things have these kind of like you know like there's this 1d kind of like or 2d i mean you know kind of thing right where you don't really get that that impression of scale or or um uh it doesn't it sometimes it doesn't quite feel real you know um until you until you learn to pick up the little aspects of it you know kind of thing um but when you see saturn through a telescope it has this this 3D quality to it where you can really see the rings and they kind of pop out at you a little bit right? And it it just, it it almost looks like, I remember when I was looking at it, I was like, I was convinced that, you know, like somebody had stuck like a little sticker on the end or something like that, right? You know, just to, you know, just to fool me or whatever, right? Exactly, (laughs) right? Because it it just, it looked, you know, compared to like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of objects that you can look at in the night sky, but Saturn just has this kind of like popping kind of quality to it, right? That you just don't, you don't get, you know, you don't get with pictures and it just kind of pops at you. So that was one where I was like, okay, like, this planet looks like a real place that like I could go to if I had some kind of like magical powers or technology that allowed that. Right. And, and that, that really blew my, my mind a bit, you know.
0: When, when you talked about it, my, my wife and I were traveling, uh, this was a number of years ago, we were in, we were in Chile. And uh, mm-hmm. so we, we went up to do some Stargate on a, on a tour. Mm-hmm. And it, what was so interesting to me is that it was a group of about, 10 people it was probably one of the scariest van rides I've ever been on uh i certain we were gonna die um and then on the way down it got even scarier but when we were up there uh we got to see Saturn uh-huh. and and I was blown away by it and I would say that more than about seven out of the 10 people were just absolutely this is incredible Yep. and then three of the people were just like oh no, yeah whatever
1: yeah right it's 70 is pretty good right like i wow. <laughs> you, you know so, so
0: what what is it what is it about astronomy that 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 for you
1: drives it it's, it's just something you're passionate about like where does that come from why does it um <clears throat> so um i think I, I think the biggest thing that it i, I think that like that passion has grown over the years for sure right and, and I think a lot of it is um it's been one of the you know things change in life your interests change and that sort of thing and, and it has been it has certainly been a constant for me though and it's been one of those things that I've been able to look to for um perspective and um and humility <laughs> for you know for sure right mm-hmm. um and i and I feel like there's um the the sense of the sense of smallness that I feel, you know, is is something that's hard to, I've not had that emotion elsewhere. Right. Like I can, you know, I can think about nights when I've been just by myself out in a field, right. You know, with my telescope and not even looking through the telescope, I will just be looking at the sky. Right. And I'll have this, this thought about seeing, so I'm looking at this star right? Doesn't matter what star it is, right? Say it's thousands of light years away, right? Um, Relatively close in terms of, you know, in astronomical terms, right? So we could even, we could pick a further star and say like, you know, a million or two light years away or something like that, right? And those, you know, that light is, is, is hitting my eyeball, right? And one of the, one of the, I don't know, one of the things about it that, that, that just, and it's, it's a really hard emotion to describe, but it is that smallness feeling, right? Where that, and but also fortunate, right? So like that, that light from that star, right, was, you know, so it's emitted as photons, right? And we, we, won't, we don't need to get into the depths of like what photons are and how they work. But one of the crazy things is, is that that photon was emitted, that was emitted by that star and traveled its entire way that whole time just to be annihilated by my eyeball. right you know and like there's um there's something about that right and and there's something i feel like that happens to your brain when you start thinking about that stuff too much right but it, it and not only that what's kind of funny too and there's there's a fun side of physics that you know that i like about this too which is that like that photon technically never experienced any time either um so it was like instantly created instantly destroyed because it's moving at the speed of light so you know special relativity and all that so anybody that listens to this if they know what that's about you know um, yeah, so that is the, but you know, so, so there's a sense of smallness, right? And you have this, um, but you also have the sense senses like that, like I got to experience that, right? Like it's not, and it's not some, you know, overwhelming experience, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a thoughtful, you know, philosophical experience to, to some degree, but it's, it's one of those experiences that, that I'm, I got to experience, right? It's, it's, that's, that, that was me, right? And, and I really appreciate that. And I just, and I love that, you know. I have this like I have this monkey brain that is capable of understanding that, right? Like I feel like that is just so it's just so crazy that I'm alive to be in that instant of to, to experience that whole thing, right? And that's the like that's the emotion that I get from it and that's what I want to share, right? And I think that's actually where a lot of the passion comes from, right? Is finding ways to to connect with people on that level and, and to get, to to help them understand the kind of experience that, you know, you can't have.
0: What struck me when you were talking about a sense of small, it, it was what was interesting for me about that is that as you relatively see yourself something as smaller, right, that, that it actually gave you a sense of connection to something so much bigger. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a good point, Yeah. And so when you when you think about that, and we in, in, in the context of why you're passionate about astronomy, how do you how do you how do you take that sort of connection to something so so vast? And, and get your head around it like, I'm not actually not, connected to do. Yeah. You know.
1: I mean, to some degree, it's just, it's a humbling thing. I mean, uh, I think, um, actually, this would probably be a good point. Um, so this, this is just an animated image, right? And so just talking about the sense of scale and stuff like that, right? Now, most of the stars that you're looking at here are in our own galaxy, right? Um, and there are many, many galaxies beyond that, and and we can get into that a little bit. And I'll, I'll tie this back to your question in a bit. But I, uh, the the thing I wanted to establish here, though, and, it, and if you're looking carefully, you can see that this is repeating on a short, fairly short time frame. But one of the one of the sensations that I I also enjoy um, when I'm out under the night sky is this sense of um, uh, kind of being on planet Earth, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can so just if you give yourself a second and try to imagine that it's not the it's not the um, it's not the sky rotating it's the earth that's rotating so imagine like take that like look at it from the perspective like those mountains are still you know I'm sorry like the sky is the sky is still and we are rotating through space right and that that sense of like <clears throat> that that sense of motion is is a thing that I that I find that that bleeds into this kind of kind of perspective right in terms so it's so your question is kind of about the scale stuff Mm -hmm. right like how do you you know like how do you grapple with that right and and the way that I have found that kind of that works for me is to just go off the deep end a little bit um and just uh, because you you need to just in a way it's like you know like open your mind a little bit which is I I hate to say that because it's like it's not what I'm going for necessarily, but it's just, it's more like giving yourself just the the ability to, just giving yourself a little bit of time to just digest, I guess, right, and giving yourself Mm -hmm. more and more examples of this stuff to kind of normalize it, and okay, now I accept it a little bit, right, and that takes a little bit of time, right, Um, so one of the things, so here, so this image is one of my absolute favorite, um, absolute favorite astronomical images, I talk it up, all the time. Um, there's an. Ex- there's actually a, a, a later version of this image called the, the Hubble Extreme Deep Field, which I don't think is as, as aesthetically pleasing. Um, this is so. This is my. This is my favorite. So what this is is, they took the Hubble Space Telescope and they looked at a part of the sky, and I think it's like, I don't know, one like it does a very very small sliver, very very small sliver of the sky.
0: And where where is the Hubble?
1: So the Hubble Space, yeah. So the Hubble the Hubble Space Telescope is currently uh, it is um, it is in space, um, and it's not too far from Earth. Um, it's in um, like elevated low Earth orbit, essentially, um, and so it just sits there. And the beauty of these space telescopes is that they can just sit there and watch the sky perpetually, right? Um, so that's like that's a thing that uh, you don't get on Earth because of day night cycles and all that good stuff, right? So um, yeah, so the, the deal with, um, with this image though, is that what they did was they, they, they looked at this part, this portion of the night sky for, uh, I forget how long exactly, but basically for a decent amount of time, like we're talking on the order of like days, right? And what you're doing there is you're collecting very, very, very dim light. Okay. So now you see these little, there's like the, you see those where there, there's like a little, uh, there's a star with a crosshair on it. There's a couple of them. They're kind of hard to pick. Is
0: yeah, it the...
1: yeah, exactly. Oh, right, there. Yes, right, there. right there. There's there. one down to the further left on that one. Is that the starship? <laughs> yeah, they're, <laughs> they're coming for us. Um, this is, so those are the couple of foreground stars in the field. What that means is those stars are in our own galaxy. Okay. Okay. Every other like point of light, smudge, everything you see here is another galaxy beyond our own. That's crazy. Okay. Like, That's just, and this is a,
0: this is a, you said, this is a tiny sliver. Yep. And, and these, apart from those two lights with the crosshairs.
1: Yep. And a couple more galaxies. Yeah. All, all galaxies. Right. Not only that, this light, because you're going further back into, because you're looking so far back, um, you're actually getting this, um, uh, this light is very old. Right. So we estimate the universe to be like 14 billion years old, you know, give or take. Right. Um, and this, this light, I think is somewhere close to like 13 billion years old. So you're actually, you're seeing early galaxies of the universe, you know, after, you know, not too astronomically long as it, you know, like not too far after the universe was born essentially. Right. Um, and, and it's just crazy. I mean, everything from, you know, like, the scale of this, because each one of these galaxies contains hundreds of millions of stars, right? Um, mm-hmm. And not only that, but like we were able to, you know, getting back to the monkey brain thing, right? Like we were able to launch a telescope into space that yeah. could do this, <laughs> you know. And somebody had the idea to say we should go and look at the, look at a tiny portion of the sky and just, you know, like see what we see, right? Um, so it's yeah, it's.
0: So why do, for you when you like this is this is. Awe-inspiring. Yeah. And the sheer vastness of it is, yeah. is a little bit. You know, when you, you know, if you want to pause, you, you certainly do feel small, yep. and and so it, it is overwhelming in a way. Mm-hmm. How how do you um, how do you how do you how do you describe why this matters to the average person? <laughs> why, why does this? Why does it matter for us to be studying astronomy? Why does it matter to us to Okay, we got an amazing picture of the stars and the galaxies. Why why does that
1: matter? Yeah, and I really think that um, uh, the the main, I think the main reason is um, fostering a sense of humility, self-reflection, um, you know, I, I, think that's, that, that's the biggest thing. Now, how do I, how do I get that across to people? I, you know, there's, um, it, it, that's, you know, that's, that's always a challenge. Right. Because like you said, I mean, sometimes you get the few people that just okay, just don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I try not to worry about those people too much. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I I have I have spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people, you know, and um, and if it's if it's a lost cause, it's a lost cause. Right. But for people that are genuinely interested, you know, and, and it's not even a thing where it's like I don't even, I don't expect everybody to come like come away being as passionate about it as I as I am. Right. If I get a sliver of perspective change from somebody because they they looked at this image and they understood what they were looking at, right? And I think that's part of it too. Is that it's? I think one of the ways that like I try to get this stuff across is to focus on the things that people can connect with, right? Um, now it's really hard to connect with the scale of this, right? But what I'm actually asking people to do is is connect to your lack of ability to understand the scale of this if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Right. And that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the, the approach that I try to take. Um, There's, you know, in in terms of like the importance of this, um, if actually uh, Tracy, if you want to pull up uh, the pale blue dot image that you had there, so this is the pale blue dot. Um, this is a somewhat astronomically famous image, um, which is funny because it doesn't look like much. <laughs> uh, and so what <laughs> happened was back in the, so back in the 70s, we launched the Voyager spacecrafts, um, which were, they were trying to do this tour of all the outer solar system, right? So um, they wanted to go take pictures, up close pictures of, uh, you know, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, Uranus, I did that out of order, whatever. Um, And take those pictures so we could, you know, up close pictures so we could actually see what these planets look like, because we, we didn't have good enough telescopes at the time um, on Earth to be able to see them in that level of detail, right? And take some readings, you know, so we, I think it was on those missions that we found out that Jupiter has a crazy magnetic field, for instance. Uh, we found out that the the moon of Io has volcanoes on it, right? So, like, real value in sending these spacecraft out there, because we can we can learn more about the solar system, right? But, uh <laughs> Carl Sagan was very much involved in that. So Carl Sagan, um, is like something of a personal hero of mine. Uh, he was a, um, he did a lot of science education and communication. I don't know if you're familiar with him uh, yep. at all, Scott. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. so, and I mean, people like younger than us, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, may not have heard <laughs> about him too much. He, he passed away in the nineties. Um, uh,
0: was what was his TV series that he had?
1: Uh, so he had the original Cosmos, uh, and, one that Neil deGrasse right, Tyson and, has, yeah,
0: picked up. And and right, Tyson uh, would be the more for the contemporary. Yes, that is a good, good comparison. comparison.
1: Exactly right. So, um, and so this was this was kind of his idea though, and so what he did was he he said to a team, "Hey, we're out. We're past Neptune now, right? Let's take a picture." of all the planets all at once because we can see them all together with the sun, right? What you're looking at here is actually the sliver of that, because it was a mosaic, right? And this is the one that they took of the planet Earth, Hmm. okay? So if you look in that bright beam there, which is actually just a photo defect, that where Tracy's pointing, that is Earth. Okay, we
0: should wave for ourselves.
1: Yeah, right, you know, um, and and yeah, or wave and then like, you know, the cameras will, you know, take pictures of us, right? So like, when this was actually so funny, like, funny enough, like when this was, I I can't remember what year this was taken. in, but, like, uh, off the top of my head, unfortunately, but, um, you know, if you were born in like this may have been actually I'd never thought about this until now, um, but this is like you like you were certainly alive like in the 80s when this when this picture was taken.
0: I was alive in the '80s. Okay. <laughs> little brain dead, but I was there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but but think about that for a minute, right? Like you're you're a tiny little like you were the tiniest little bit of information on the you know on this thing, right? Um, and there is a there, there's a beautiful quote by by Carl Sagan that I won't I won't get into because it's, it's a little bit long. Um, but I would recommend reading it. Um, it's you know it's from his book The Pale Blue Dot. Um, and mm-hmm. you can go on Wikipedia and look it up. And it's just it's a beautiful quote. But the the biggest takeaway from that is that um, it talks about how you know this is this is all we've got right Mm -hmm. like it's that it's that tiny little speck right this little moat of dust (laughs) you know like we're just like it that's it right but you know think about like you know think about the wars that have been fought over a tiny little shred of this thing Mm -hmm. you know of this insignificant little piece right but it It's also important to think about how, like, we're this little oasis of life, right, in this vast span of nothing, Mm -hmm. right? And just, like, that seems worth protecting, right? And it's also kind of funny, because we're actually recording this uh, while there's a bunch of, uh, uh, on the climate uh, strike day, right? Um, I was going to mention that in
0: terms of uh, the the understanding of our context and the importance of our planet can be really... You know, brought to light with this little dot, mm-hmm. that is, as you as you're highlighting, it's this is what we've got right now. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. so the significance of that is is you know the small can be incredibly significant. Mm-hmm. In point. Yeah, so, absolutely. I was wondering if we could segue into a little bit. I, I was going to get into kind of who your heroes are in astronomy, but I want to just. If we could just put Carl Sagan onto the shelf for just a moment. Yeah, sure. Um, recently, uh, India was making an attempt to land on the moon. Uh, mm-hmm. Space exploration is coming to the forefront. Uh, mm-hmm. we've, we've got an international space station. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? From What's your opinion on space exploration and what we should be doing, not just as, say, a specific nation of Canada, U.S., but in a broader sense
1: of space exploration. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely, I'm I'm a pretty big advocate for (laughs) for space exploration um, with some caveats, right? Um, I think that, and again, you know, like the the ability to take a picture of ourselves, you know, at that scale, right, is massive, right? Our ability to understand the solar system, um, our ability to deflect a giant asteroid coming our way, right? uh like bill nye's you know classic quote i think it was bill nye anyway he might be getting the attribution wrong but he says it a lot is that you know the the dinosaurs didn't have a space program (laughs) we probably (laughs) should right you know and we do right like we do right so we, we should be able to deflect an asteroid coming our way right and so i think that there's there are very there are various levels of importance on there i think also like there are um there are certainly um resources in space that you know we can certainly utilize to further you know um humanity and you know our you know the growth of us you know like us as a species and all that um i i think i think it's just, i think it's a natural place that we're going to move to now i also think that it's incredibly it's incredibly challenging right like i i i don't i don't and i don't know that people necessarily you know accept that, <laughs> you know, which is fine, right? Um, but uh, as I've gotten older, I mean, I don't wanna say I've gotten more cynical about it, but certainly more pessimistic about, you know, about our, our um, about the likelihood of us being able to really um, get out there and, and explore the solar system, at least as humans. Now at the same time, I mean, we're like, we're throwing, like we, we send out a lot of spacecraft, right? Um, but not that many, you know, kind of thing. Um, like that, that Indian um, uh, spacecraft that uh, they sent to the moon, that was their first attempt at it, and they lost communication with it, right? Yeah. Now, the thing may have actually landed successfully, right? Um, it, it's possible. I, I don't know. I, I didn't read up all the details, but it it potentially had enough automated stuff in it to allow it to happen. But at the very least, the failure mode was they lost communication with it. That so it kind of, doesn't matter if it landed or not. We've, yeah, but but the point, though, is that there's all these things that have to go right, <laughs> you yeah. know, kind of thing, right? Um, and spaceflight is really, really hard. You know, the success rate is generally not very good. The costs are very, very expensive. It takes, like, you know, the usual quote is like ten to $20,000 a kilogram, I think, to launch something in the space, you know? Um, you know, and then you start doing with the rocket equation, which is where you have um, you know the more you know, if you need to launch more fuel, you need more fuel to launch that fuel. you know, so it's it's a very, very challenging, challenging business. And I am certainly in favor of pushing for that kind of stuff, right? because I, I think it's something that that allows us to um, you know push the boundaries and and move beyond. The, the major caveat that I have, and just kind of like in what we're talking about too, um, is that I, I don't think it should be done as a solution to the problems that we have here on Earth, right? You know, I I mean, the extreme version of this is that like, oh, we're going to colonize Mars and start fresh, right? And no, (laughs) right? Like like Mars as a colony, it's like, um, think about Antarctica, right? We're not colonizing Antarctica, right? Like we have a science research station there and they do a lot of amazing stuff and there's a decent little crew there that, you know, that hangs out, but they come home a lot and they are supported heavily. Like they can't, they're not sustainable, right? So it's, you know, and, and I don't want to be a detractor in that sense. I, I do want people to, I think that that's where, where we should be going, but I also, I, I think there ha- there is some realism that needs to be held there. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I do think too that like robotic spacecraft are um, pretty amazing little things. You know, like we've you know we we have sent a lot of spacecraft out there, and we could probably do a lot, a lot more of it. It's not very expensive compared to human spaceflight. You know, um, so I don't know. I yeah, it's and and fascinating people, to me yeah,
0: yeah. that, and, and I'm wondering how much is connected to the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 mm-hmm. landing on the moon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it shows, you know, 50 years later, we've certainly um, a lot of innovations and in technology <sighs> to space travel hold. Yet, yeah, um, you know, uh, it's quite an accomplishment 50 years ago of what absolutely, what yeah, the the use of that technology can be translated in so many different ways as well. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not limited to space travel. Absolutely. I, um, you mentioned Carl Sagan. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that I was I was looking at, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a glimpse into where I might go with the uh, astronomy connecting it to heavy metal. Mm-hmm. But the amount of subgenres mm-hmm. in astronomy is yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. As is the number of subgenres in heavy metal.
1: Maybe so, I like categorization. I don't know I, <laughs> where my brain works. Right? I don't know. Yeah. You got
0: to put everything into its place.
1: Maybe, <laughs> so, maybe we could talk about that a little bit though. I've, I bounce off of some of that a little bit, but yeah,
0: go ahead. Yeah. So, so if you were to pick um, uh, um, a hero uh, from astronomy or a group of people, uh, whether say Mayans or mm-hmm. Egyptians or, or uh, individuals from the Renaissance, whether it's Galileo, mm-hmm. who, who do, who's inspired you? to explore certain subgenres of astronomy oh. and how you would how you would connect that back to your involvement
1: today. Oh, that's that's a tough one because there's a lot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean not like not specific like it's 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 a broad like it's a it's a broad uh, it's a broad thing, right? Um mm-hmm. I know oh um there are there there are definitely trying to think of the best I'm trying to think of the best approach there um you know to come at this from like one of the um one of the things that I am so one of the things that that I I can think of historically anyway that I that I found really inspiring um and this is this is weird because it's just I guess how my brain works it's not necessarily on the hero side of things I wouldn't like I think in terms of heroes and stuff like that it is a little bit more contemporary for me um and that's been um, I think, and when I think about those heroes, uh, I'm just going gonna, gonna to touch on that real quick, and then I'll get back to the historical bit. But um, the hero side of things, like another very personal one for me, is a guy named uh, Paul Delaney that nobody but me is going to know. Uh, but he was actually my Who's observatory. His his name's Paul Delaney. He's my he was my observatory director, okay. uh, and he has been on. He has been on television talking about space and science. He's the guy that, you know, CTV calls up to help explain like, Hey, what's we heard about an asteroid that's hitting the earth, you know, kind of thing. Right. What do we do? Right. And so they call him up, get him on TV and that sort of thing. And that was, he was a guy that I derived a lot of um, just, you know, in working there for those four years. Um, And I still see him occasionally on TV and stuff like that. But in those four years, like learning how to communicate, right. You know, or try to be better about communicating this stuff to to people and, and seeing him do just work a crowd, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? It's just really inspiring. Um in terms of that communication, right? So that that is like I, I really believe deeply in science communication. I, I believe deeply in that again, that connection, you know, and helping people, you know, establish that connection. And I've got a hundred stories about that kind of stuff, right? Um I also really care for but I also really like uh historical stuff, right? So the history of astronomy is something I I, I, I enjoy a lot. Um, and one of the Um, one of the things that I always, I always thought was neat is so, so we have these, um, we have these, these certain types of nebulas in the sky, right? So, um, like the crab nebula is, is an example of this thing, right? Where it's this pretty looking, you know, like thing of gas and dust in the, you know, in the sky, right? And it's in our, it's in our Milky Way galaxy, right? And. Actually, Tracy, just for the heck of it, could you uh, just pull up Google and search for Crab Nebula? I promise you won't get anything bad. It's always perfect. <laughs> it should, I mean, Google Images should return something real quick, so. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's a pretty, it's a very, very pretty, um, pretty, you know, pretty looking thing, right? And so the question is, OK, well, where did these things come from, right? And as it turns out, um, you know, these are um, the result of supernovas, right?
0: And what's a supernova?
1: So a supernova is when a star um, of a certain mass, so it has to be large enough, it has to have enough mass to do this, but essentially what's happening is, is it's burning up all of its, it, all of its fuel, right, on the inside. Um, but gravity is still holding it together, and then there's, a, there's kind of this tipping point where um, it becomes too big, and essentially there's not enough fuel, and it actually collapses in on itself. Okay, so this is the Crab Nebula, right? You were right. It's fantastic. Right. Now, to be clear, you're not going to see this with a telescope. <laughs> um, you will see it, it'll be more grayscale in a telescope, but, uh, you know, Hubble, what they do is they use different. So what you're seeing, the different colors are actually different types of gases, right? But it's very pretty, though, right? And so we, yeah. we've, we've seen these things and we've been able to, you know, we've been able to observe them. So this, that was the result of a supernova. Right? So this thing where, so what happens is it, you know, the star collapses in on itself and it just explodes, right? Mm-hmm. What you were seeing in that image was the resulting growth of that explosion, right? Or at least the, the material ejector, right? So the light explodes way faster, obviously, right? So the, the light is incredibly bright. Now, here's the funny thing is that we can look at those, we can look at those nebula. Right, and we can say, well, based on how big they are, right, which we can kind of judge, where did where did this come from, right? We can dial back the like we can dial back the clock, right, and it actually turns out it's only on the order of like hundreds of years. Huh. Okay, so when you look back at these nebula, you can actually find that when you go back and you look, and so there are actually um, these uh, Chinese historical records that have a couple, there's been a couple of these that they found where they were keeping records of these supernova because they could see the bright light that lit up, right? And they're like, oh, a new star appeared and then disappeared. That's interesting. So they made a record of it. Like a thousand years later, right? Not thousands, but like a thousand years later, we've got the supernova remnant, is what we call them supernova remnants, right? That's what that thing is. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at it and we can point that back To a historical record that was taken like over a thousand years ago or something like that you know and and so that kind of like that that's the like that's another little connection thing right but um that's one of those ones where i i feel like you know when you start talking about the you know like the value of science and the value of you know recording these things and whatever you know kind of thing right like in the context of the time i don't know that anyone really knew or cared about what this thing was like i'm sure from like a in the immediate like oh does this mean that you know the gods are coming to kill us or who knows what you know kind of thing right um but you know somebody had the presence of mind i don't know who you know, but somebody, a hero of mine, had the presence of mind to record that and be very, very detailed about it, right? Mm-hmm. So that a thousand years later, we can go and look back at that, right? And know more about how this stuff works. And that, and that is great too, because what it, what it, it's not, and it's not just the connection, it's actually the scientific value of it. Because you can say how, we don't have a lot of these to look at, so you can actually look back and say, are our predictions of how fast this nebula is supposed to grow? correct right and yeah. do they do they fit the like does this data fit the model that we have right and that sort of thing so yeah
0: you, you one of the things you're touching on is highlighting how the study of astronomy um through the through the centuries has translated into very very practical elements to of physics quantum mm-hmm. mechanics yep um the studies that we have today and, and actually how they connect back to um, technological advancements that, that that fit into in many ways everyday life, and and so the importance of the study of the stars over the centuries is actually translated into benefits for us and and how we live today. Yeah. Um, um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna shift gears a little bit on you again, and I feel like we're at the spot where we need to talk about black t-shirts and yep. heavy metal. <clears throat> yep. And but I want to start maybe at a bit higher level. Sure. um one of the things that, that you've talked about in the past that I that I grabbed and I think this may have happened over dinner when we were at um, in Denver for meetup mm-hmm. and uh, meetup for those of you that don't know that's where we have our customer event and this year it happened to be in Denver Brennan and I were together randomly ended up having dinner together just by by chance and uh, one of the statements you had in there and you put in your write-up was the importance of experiencing live music. Yeah. And you talk about the importance of experiencing astronomy.
1: Yeah.
0: How translate translate this and connect this for me, and then we'll start talking more about it, the heavy metal piece. piece.
1: Yeah, and, and so like I think the initial, I mean, and so they're on. They they're they're serving different purposes, obviously. You know, I I think that there's a, um, but it, there's there are some parallels, right, and some connection points. So um so back on the astronomy thing right so talking about the photon hitting your eye and being annihilated after traveling all that time to get to you you know kind of thing right and that's where like visual astronomy to me is like yeah looking at you know looking at it and understanding your your place on earth and and you know establishing that perspective um i think i think the the funny thing for me is that live music is actually where so sorry so astronomy for me is often the kind of like it's a bit solitary at times right like it's it's not that i don't go go observing with other people but i find that even when i do we're all kind of quiet you know unless we see something really cool and we want to go show somebody you know that definitely happens right It, it can be shared right and i talk about it a lot especially if i'm doing a public public event but there's a side of astronomy that is very very much like a solitary personal thing right and live music is actually kind of where I derive the shared, more of the shared human experience side of things, right? Because when, you know, when I'm at a concert, right? And it's, it could be something as simple as like, you know, the whole, like, I mean, it's it's simple-ish, right? But when you have a whole crowd, especially like in a small venue, 500, I mean, 100 people, right? You know, and everyone's into it, everyone's having a great time, and you can see the reaction on the band. You know, you can see the reaction from the band and you can see the response that they're that they're giving and the energy that they're putting into it, right? And there's that connection again, right? And I've been to enough concerts where it's like, yeah, sure, the bands can I know bands can look like they're having fun. (laughs) You know, and I know that they're they are trained to do so, but you can tell. (laughs) Right? Like you can tell when the crowd's not into it and they're really working, you know, um, that there's a there's a bit of there's effort there. Right, and they're performers, they're professionals, but when the when the crowd is into it and the band sees that and responds to it, it is just like it's electric, right? Like it's 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 yeah, it's magical, right? And so, but it is that, but it is that shared human experience because when you break it down, like if you break it down into the cold. You know, thing that's happening there, right? Like it's, yeah, like they're doing a thing that triggers the endorphins in our brain, you know, kind of thing, right? And it's, eh, whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? But the, but but the connection's really there, right? And, and I think that that's that kind of energy is is a um, is something that I um I get a lot out of, you know, just in the shared, you know, in the shared sense, right? If it was me hanging out in an empty room, headbanging to a to a to a band playing, I mean, that might be kind of cool in a different way, um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very weird. <laughs>
0: What I, I hear you saying that is fascinating to me is that there there is a uh, there's an intimacy to this yes. uh yes. in space where yes. not only is it just the connection it's a shared connection, and the energy level is is uh, symbiotic in nature yeah. where it just continues to grow and and there is a connection to when you talked about um uh, the photons photons mm-hmm. yep, get that right hitting your eyeballs you got it but but there, so it's the element of it is. Is there's a there's a different type of intimacy to that the the you now the connection to the broader sense of the universe, mm-hmm. but then a venue where it's a hundred people Was it Iron Maiden that's playing where it's hundred people? Is that yeah.
1: <laughs> Iron Maiden was closer to you know like fifteen thousand, but yeah. <laughs>
0: <You know. laughs> yeah okay. What is the most incredible concert experience
1: you've had and why? Ooh. Narrow it down. Narrow it down. Favorite. Oh, um, real. Um, uh, oh, geez, that's a man stuff. Um so I've had a lot of I've had a lot of good ones. Um there have I think probably the best one oh, So there's this band um there's this band uh called Amonemarth. Um they are if we're if we're gonna get genre specific, they so some people will call them Viking Metal. Uh just I'm gonna make that little tie back. Um that, that's what we were talking about. I don't know if that, I can remember if that was recorded or not, but, uh, but it was um, recorded, but it was before we went started. So. got it. Okay, anyway. So <laughs> Maybe that's a preview. So the, uh, but yeah, so they're they're a um, uh, melodic death metal band, which basically me and I don't get into the the business of this, but they're a death metal band, but they actually have a little bit of melody to them. But the thing about them is that like they're like that the, their shtick is that it's all about Vikings and Norse mythology and stuff like that, and they lean into it really hard. And they have a lot of fun though, you know. So like going to an of Marth concert is is a bit of a party, right? And you'll go there, and it's like you know they're playing to a crowd of like 500 to 1,000 people. I don't know exactly the numbers, but something like that, right? And it it was, it's something that, I mean, this happened, oh man, like maybe like eight or nine years ago. Um, But again, like personal, like connections and intimacy and all that kind of stuff, right? Where there was this complete stranger and it was this song that like I knew all the words to and this guy next to me knew all the words to and he recognized that I knew all the words to, right? And just grabbed me, right? And we just started like just, hammering out the lyrics to this thing right and we're just right into it and the, the lead vocalist, because i mean we're just in this little this little venue right and so the lead the lead vocalist of a Martin like sees the two of us and like throws out the horn like you know like horns you know horns up you know kind of thing right and then just like and spent you know like like a good like 10-15 seconds just engaged with us in this you know kind of thing right and it was really special it was this cute little moment that like was just yeah at a death metal concert.
0: <laughs> Cute little moment uh, at a Viking metal yeah. concert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a yeah. great story. Yeah, I love that. That's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. why? So I was very shocked. Uh, you're wearing a black t-shirt today.
1: I know. I know. It's very. I didn't very, see that coming at all. Yeah. Um,
0: why the black t-shirt?
1: So, I mean, if we're going to talk about yeah, so we're going to talk about heavy heavy metal. You have to talk a little bit about the imagery that tends to go along with heavy metal, which is you know dark and evil and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and. So one of the one of the things um that is kind of common in heavy metal is to just in the fandom of it is to buy band shirts and sometimes there's an elitist kind of bent to this a little bit where it's a sort of like, you know, you, um, Oh, like, look how rare this shirt is, you know, that sort of stuff. Right. Um, but there is actually a, there's a practical economical side to this, which is actually how I started buying more band shirts. (laughs) Um, you know, so I started, you know, so I got a professional job, um, you know, uh, you know, in the industry. Um, and, uh, despite my student debt, I felt like I had disposable income. Uh, <laughs> and, um, when I started going to concerts, you know, um, you know, I noticed I got, cause I had money to go to concerts more often. I was like, yeah, everyone's wearing these black band shirts, you know, kind of thing. Right. Um, so you want to feel part of the crowd, but also like, dude, they're like, you know, 30 bucks a, a pop, you know, kind of thing. Right. You know, twenty, thirty 30 bucks a pop. It's like, Oh, I just spent 30 bucks on the ticket. I don't know. You know, kind of thing. Right. And, more more on beer uh and so you know it becomes a bit of an expensive night but one of the things so i I actually ended up i actually got talking to so there's this smaller band um they were playing at a shitty little dive bar in winnipeg here right you know for about like 50 people you know kind of thing right and so i saw i saw the the lead vocalist um hanging out just checking his phone and i was like hey man you want a beer he's like yeah so we went and we had a beer together and so we're chatting you know, and um, as we're as we're chatting, somebody came up and they and they said, hey, I was wondering, they were from, I think, one of the music shops. And they're like, hey, could I buy like, could I buy a uh, a bunch of your vinyl in bulk? Right. And, you know, and, and maybe get them at a discounted price. Right. And he was like, you know, man, I'm sorry, I can't I can't do that because I'll, I'll, I'll just be I'll be honest with you. I get three dollars from every vinyl record we sell. Three bucks. Three right? bucks. Right. And that's them selling it. Right. <laughs> okay. And he's like, and they'll do things like sign it and whatever, you know, kind of thing. Right. So it's a little bit more special. And I was like, Oh, you know, so I'm, I'm sitting there in this conversation, not really saying anything. And then, you know, so this guy leaves and I was like, well, so like how do you guys make money? He's like t-shirts. <laughs> <T-shirts>. <laughs> right they're cheap to produce they can sell them for 30 bucks and they're actually a special thing in the metal in the metal world right like the one that i'm like this is a slave shirt that i'm wearing was from a concert that i went to with uh, ben hanka and another buddy of mine down in minneapolis um and it's got the tour dates on the back right so i can show off to people and like be like hey like i saw these guys you know at that on that tour right so there's a little bit of that going on there but it really it's practically it's it's the way that i support the bands, right? Um, And so because of that, I've got like 50 band shirts, you know, like sitting around. um, And IQ is cool enough to let me wear band shirts every day. I won't wear all of them to work. There's a few that are a little on the edge of, you know, decency. Uh, But, (laughs) you know, but, but, uh, you know, it's, but I can, you know, I can wear, I can wear this stuff to work every day. So it's kind of just become my uniform. Um, You know, so actually people get really freaked out when I'm not wearing a band shirt, which is funny. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I um, I have friends who are um, uh, really big into into metal,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I have um, I've been just blown away by not only the level of effort they make to go to concerts, mm-hmm. but their their range of T-shirts. And one of my buddies actually has a walk-in closet mm-hmm. that is filled where one wall is Iron Maiden. Nice. <laughs> He's just like, and then, yeah, I saw Maiden here, and I saw yeah. Maiden there, and then, yeah. and, and, and he can just describe, and he can describe all the concerts to me. They're that vivid to him.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and so there's a passion to it that, yeah. that I think comes through in the most amazing way.
1: Yeah.
0: I, 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 um, I'm a reformed, uh, metalhead. Okay. I, um, but I, if you look on my playlist, you will find some metal yeah. and there's nothing funnier than back in the day when we had all the kids at home and I would pull up in my minivan with, um, you know, some black Sabbath coin. Nice. Uh, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah it, it was, it was, nice. it was quite the scene. And then nice. I realized, oh, that's probably not going to help. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, I was actually going to say this, the funny thing on Black Sabbath was, so, you know, talking about, like, um, early experiences again, and, like, just to throw it back to my dad a little bit, because he's got a lot to blame uh, for how I've become, (laughs) you know, Um, but, like, uh, like one of the first things he ever did was, like, he threw on, um, when I was young, um, he threw on uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon you know mm-hmm. at one point when I was young because I was getting into some punk and stuff like that and he think he wanted to make sure that I had a little bit of a broader you know <laughs> and we don't need to talk about the whole like you know like crap we listened in the high school you know like stuff right but it's but there was I'm that
0: and,
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I but you know there was also like yeah he was you know he got me listening to Black Sabbath and if we're talking like just you know like the brief like history of heavy metal like that first album that first song, the guitar tone, the, you know, like, and they were just riffing on um, uh, Mars, uh, bringer of war from the, you know, the planets, right. Uh, Which is a hilarious little connection to the astronomy thing again, right. But that was actually all they were doing. They were just kind of like, they were listening to that and they thought now this would sound like those few notes would sound really cool if we like distorted the hell out of this, you know, and like drew it really out, you know, kind of thing. So yeah. And then, you know, yeah.
0: It's um, uh, Brandon, you're a fascinating guy. Brandon, thank you so much and really appreciate this. Thank you for our audience for joining in and you guys have a great day. Thanks so much.